All right, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. And as you go there, I just want to say a couple things. First of all, next Sunday is going to be our praise service. And that, if you've never been here for a praise service, it's a service you do not want to miss. Uh, It is a blessing beyond what I could describe to you this morning. I can't explain to you how awesome it is to be here for a praise service. But I also want to give you a little heads up because uh, I want you to be ready. to to come next week. It is a service where we worship and then we just kind of open up the service for you uh, to give thanks. It is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And I know a lot of people rush into Christmas, but man, as believers, we think Thanksgiving is an amazing opportunity for us to be explicitly grateful. And so we kind of give everybody a chance. We have some microphones we pass around the room. People stand and uh, they take a minute or two. It's not a long thing. We're not asking. And we, we actually ask you not to go on and on and on. So a lot of people can share, but we have a chance for you to say thank you to the Lord for what God has done in your life, uh, whether it's this past year or, or somewhere further back, but just to express your gratitude. And the church expresses its gratitude one by one by one. It is a blessing I can't even explain to you. So for this week, what I would challenge you to do is just think about if you were, you're, nobody expects you to, but if you were to take that microphone, what would you say? What would you be thankful for to the Lord for what he's been doing or has done in your life? And just reflect on that. And then we get together next week. Maybe it's something you just, just between you and the Lord, and that's fine. But maybe it's something that God would prompt you to share with people because of the encouragement it would be. So that's next Sunday. That is our praise service. All right, so we're walking through the book of Exodus. Today we're going to talk about God's help. Uh, And I, I feel like I maybe mistitled this a little bit, God's help, because it's not quite about God helping us. God, we've got a burden. Could you help me with this? It's not exactly that. It comes off of what Dave talked about last week uh, and, and, and this interaction that God is having with Moses. And I want to forewarn you as we go through the book of Exodus, especially those early chapters and the the plagues, we're going to return to the same themes over and over and over again. Uh, I think it's because that's the way that the book is written. It's, it's, it comes back to these themes again and again. And maybe, just maybe, some of the things we're talking about are things that we need to hear more than once. I don't know, maybe, you know, right? Some of these things, it might be a little bit that we have to really get a grip on and handle. So if you hear some repetitive themes, I believe that that is the direction of God's Spirit for us. So as we go through it, we'll do our best to hold on to it. So I want to talk about, I want to start at, a few weeks ago uh, was Halloween, and whether you celebrate Halloween or not, you know, uh, that's between you and the Lord, and, and we certainly don't make a big thing about uh, you should celebrate, you shouldn't celebrate. I think Romans 14 makes it very clear, whatever. But a few weeks ago was Halloween, and uh, our grandson went out to trick-or-treat, and he found this incredible reality about the world, which I, I think is only going to disappoint him in the long run, because this is not how it works. But you go up to somebody's door with a bucket in your hand and they put candy in this bucket. I mean, can you imagine being one and a half and this is, this is like you find out that this is possible? You know what I mean? Like you're walking around like, and you say trick or treat. He didn't actually say trick or treat. He said something, but it wasn't, it was three syllables. It wasn't trick or treat, but it was something. And then you say the magic words and they put candy in your bucket and then you take that candy home with you. Right? Now, I'm not sure he even knew what candy really was before that, but that night he found out <laughs> what candy was. And it was, you know, this, this revelation of what's possible, what could maybe be heaven someday. Uh, you know, like his concept of heaven is probably, probably candy. Um, 
And as soon as he began to understand how amazing candy is, he decided virtually as soon as he realized that candy is amazing, that he needed more. One candy wasn't enough. We wanted two, and then three, and then four. So I'm going to ask you, all wise church, everyone here has experienced raising kids or watching TV programs where they raise kids or whatever. So you're all qualified to give input because we're going to ask if you can give Kylie and Matt some advice about what they should do with their son. When, when, when Emmett wants more candy, should they just always give him more candy? You guys are mean. <laughs> wow. How about, okay, how about grandparents? Yes, okay. I hear a no from over here. What's the problem with just giving a child more candy when they want more candy? Is candy evil? Is it sinful? Is it wicked? Is it poison? Well, there's some debate about that. But what's the problem? Well, there's a bunch of problems. Because once you start chasing more, you never get to the end of it. Early in your life, it is a good thing to learn, not that you are just supposed to get whatever you want, but that life is is about recognizing what is good and healthy and what isn't. Certainly, having candy as much as you want won't help your health or your future eating habits. And so in something as simple as parenting, we recognize that we need to see the hopelessness of more. So let me ask you, how many of you agree with this statement? I'm going to ask you to actually just be bold, even if you're like shy or whatever, and raise your hand if you agree with this statement. You don't have to raise it high. You can just lift it off your leg, right? I, we're not, we don't have cameras watching you to see if you're, we're not going to hold your feet to the fire. But who agrees with this statement? A person who always wants more is in trouble in their life. How many people agree with that statement? A person who always wants more is in trouble in their life. I think that's self-evident because once you decide that more is the answer, there is no end to more. There's a self-evidence thing too. So we all recognize that's unhealthy, but how many of us have a blind spot here? We know that more can't be the answer, and yet we talk to ourselves like it is. Even this week, how many of us have thought, what I need is more? I've believed it, that if I had more, my life would be relieved or better or even fixed if I just had more, fill in the blank, more time, more money, more opportunity, more friends. If I just was smarter, if I, if I just had more, that would be the answer for my life. And as I thought about that, I thought about this. I think that we all actually are born with an unlimited need for more. Some of it is our fallenness, but I actually think, and it it, it actually drives a lot of the problems that we find in life. People are uh, stressed out. They are overwhelmed. They, They turn to addiction. They turn to obsessions because there's this more and this more and this more, more control, more say, more just more of stuff. But I actually think there may be a spiritual reflection of our created purpose, our created nature, that what we need is more. I think there's an answer for our lives. 
And I think that the answer for our lives is actually more. Because the one that we need is truly unlimited. So only the unlimited could satisfy an unlimited desire for more. How about that? In other words, your desire, your understanding is not completely wrong. It's just perverted. When we set our sights on this desire for more, on stuff that is inherently limited, it can never satisfy because we can never have enough on it. But when we recognize that our ache for more is because only an infinite creator can satisfy us, the God who loves us and invites us into a trusting, saving relationship, we need him. And he is, by definition, more. Maybe we've gotten it all wrong. Maybe as we go through life, we're right about the fact that we don't have enough, but we're wrong about what we need to fill it all up to the place where we do have enough. We focus on the stuff that he provides to help instead of the fact that he is the one who provides. We focus on the stuff he gives instead of the fact that he gives. Here in Exodus 4, Moses is wrestling with God, and I think God, in the passage we look at today, chapter 4, verses 1 to 17, Moses is being taught by God a similar lesson, because Moses has just found out that God has a plan for his life, and he's looking at what he thinks he has, and he's saying, I need more than that. So if you're here today, and your life is overstressed, and overwhelmed, and overrushed, and overrun, and you're like, I need more than I've got, you and Moses are in the same spot. And I think God wants to teach you through the things that he does with Moses, the same thing he's trying to teach Moses, which is that there's an answer for his life. I think God is working to show Moses, you're right, you need more. But please don't come up with terribly wrong answers as to what that more is. God chooses some things to show Moses that what he needs to do is trust God. Because God is about to show him that he is, has all the power it takes to deliver and undo, deliver his children from Egypt and undo the power of the Egyptians. The most powerful people in this world, the most powerful forces in this world are powerless before God. Now that, we don't recognize how powerful of a truth that is because we go around in this world, it's like, yeah, God's more bigger, God's better. But when you get worried about what's happening in life, when you tune into the news and you're like wringing your hands and you're feeling that tension in your chest and, and this like, what's going on and how is this going to happen and what does my boss think of me and how can that person think that of me and all of this stuff is riled up in you, the most powerful forces in this world are powerless before God. That's what we believe. That's what God is teaching Moses here. Until your power, your human power, is rightfully seen as small, you will never have real hope for your life. Because you know your power has limits. You know your power cannot do everything it takes. You can't control tomorrow. You can't even control today. You can't control people that you'd like to control. You can't control circumstances. You can't control life. And so until I get humble about my own power, I will never have hope. I will have stress. I will have anxiety. I will have worry. Eventually I'll have depression, hopelessness, despair, but I won't have hope 
until I give up, until I see my power as rightfully small. And by the way, it goes for the power of others too. Until the power of others is rightfully seen as small, you cannot hold on to lasting hope. As long as you believe that what everybody else does and what everybody else thinks matters to your life and changes your life, you are beholden to something less than God. And so here's Moses having a conversation with God. Start with me at verse 1 of Exodus chapter 4. We'll go from 1 down to verse 7. It says this, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now, put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. This conversation that Moses is having with God, God is saying, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to lead my people out of slavery. And last week, uh, David talked about how God said, I'm going to tell you my name. My name is I Am, the self-existent one. We sing a song called Yahweh that reflects the Hebrew of that name, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the I am. The one who needs no one else. The one who draws on no power outside of himself. This God called Moses to lead Israel out of slavery. People who have been enslaved for centuries. People that Moses hasn't talked to for decades. And for Moses, it's a lot to process. Too big of a task too distant of a task. And so Moses is here trying to process what God is asking. I think what he's really trying to do is get out of what God's asking him to do. His question is, well, what if they don't believe me? What if they say you didn't really talk to me? It's maybe a legitimate question, but later on we'll find out he just straight out asks, please send somebody else, not me. So he's trying to get out of this because it seems too big. And he starts at this place. What if they don't believe me? And what he's talking about is not Pharaoh, He's talking about the Israelites. It's interesting. He's more concerned about the reception from Israel than Pharaoh. But in any case, his eyes aren't on the power of God, the call of God. His eyes are on what is going to be their response to what I say. What if they don't believe me? How will I convince them? Have you ever been in that place where you really want somebody to understand something and you're like, how do I convince them? That's hard, isn't it? It's a stressful thing if you're like, I don't know how to get through. I don't know how to change their mind. It really matters if I change their mind. Well, God is saying, Pharaoh is in charge of all these Israelites. He's got them as slaves. He's probably not that interested in releasing his slaves. Free work. Moses, I want you to go convince him. Moses says, I I don't know how to do it. I want you to convince the children of children of Israel to follow you. I don't know how to do that, God. He says, God, what am I going to say? How am I going to convince them? And God's answer, I would say to you is, you're not going to convince them. I'm going to convince them. I think a lot of times when we consider the weights and the stresses of our life, we stop at, what am I going to do? 
We never get to, God, what are you going to do? And what happens is Moses says, well, I don't have enough. I, I'm, not, I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough. I need more. And God's answer to that starts with, verse 2, what's in your hand? Moses says, I need more. And essentially God starts with, no, you don't. What do you already have? Moses says, this? It's a stick. It's a stick. Yeah, it's a stick. I have a stick. Okay, I want you to go set Israel free. What do you got in your hand? I got a stick. I think God pointed that out and chose that on purpose. Because Moses thinks I need more. God says what you already have is plenty because what you already have is me. So he's going to say, well, you got this stick in your hand. Uh, God, I don't know what the stick is going to do. I'm not even sure why you're looking at it. Did I do something wrong? What God is saying to him is it's never what you have. It's who you have. It's never what you know is possible, but who you know that can do the impossible. Believers need to start living like we believe. Instead of always living like, what am I going to do? Maybe we should call ourselves panickers or worriers or stressed outers instead of believers. Because if we're going to call ourselves believers, then we should believe. And God says to Moses, what do you have in your hand? Well, I've got a stick. It's interesting that where God starts on this incredible task, set my people free, is with these really small signs. I mean, they, they represent the power of God, but he starts with a stick. God could have, maybe you don't agree, or maybe you've never thought of this, but God could have done this anyhow he wanted to. He could have said, Moses, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to march into Egypt. I'm going to create giant sand monsters to walk behind you. And you're going to walk into Egypt, and you're going to be like, and Pharaoh's going to be like, oh, okay, go. Power of God and all that, right? He could have if he wanted to, right? What's in your hand? It's a stick. Because Moses would have been easy to say, okay, well, God made these, I see the monsters and they're all behind. God's going to use something that Moses says, there's no way that's going to do anything. I've just got a stick. He's going to take what Moses already has, what Moses has already evaluated as too little, too small, too weak, and he's going to use that. This stick in Moses' hand is going to become very central in the plagues and later on in the parting of the Red Sea, this stick. Aren't you glad he picked the right stick? He didn't lose it somewhere along the way. It's like, oh man, I'm glad I picked that one up instead of that one up. But that's the point. It wasn't about the stick. What's in your hand, Moses? That ordinary small thing. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that thing that doesn't have any power in itself so that you can see that your hope is not what you have, but who you have. Just throw it on the ground. And when he throws it on the ground, it does this impossible thing. It turns into a, a snake. And a snake, we could go deep into this, but a snake is a symbol of the power of the Egyptian pharaoh. That's why a lot of them are buried with those kind of uh, masks and symbols and things like that. Uh, the snake is a power of a symbol of power. And God uses this stick and turns it into a snake and then turns it back into a stick. And essentially what he's saying is, Pharaoh is nothing special. He's no better than a stick. What you thought was weak in your hand is how weak Pharaoh is. 
compared to me. What you see as big and powerful is nothing but a stick to me. He's teaching Moses that God is above the Pharaoh. I wonder how many of us need to learn that what we're worried about, what we're stressed about, who we've got our eye on, that it's much smaller than our God. I wonder how many of us, God says, what are you holding on to? Like, I'm holding on to this. It's killing me, God, because it's such a big thing. And he's like, man, it's just a stick. I'm so much bigger than that. And I'm watching over your life and I'm guarding and keeping you and I've promised you an eternity and this world is not your home and so can you trust me? Part of the way he does that is he says there's a snake sliding along and he says to Moses, have you learned? Pick it up by the tail. He says, not just pick it up, pick it up by the tail. Now this is not an advisable course of action. First of all, you're touching a snake, which many of you are like, some of you are like, can we move on to the next sign because we're talking about a snake. But Pick it up by the tail is not exactly the safe way to do this. God is saying, have you learned? When I tell you something, I'm in charge. Will you trust me or will you trust what you see? And what, what, what would normally be dangerous under the instruction of God turns out to not. As soon as he picks it up, it turns back into a stick. All of this is meant to show Moses he can trust God. He can put his hope in the Lord. It's an invitation to believe. We know that our salvation doesn't come when we're strong enough or smart enough or have a great enough plan or have cleaned up our life or measured up. Our salvation comes when we humble ourselves, we recognize our weakness, and we trust our Savior to save us. And that's not just a one-time transaction deal. That's a normal way of living. God I'm going to bring all my efforts and abilities, but they mean really nothing in comparison. So what really matters here is that you show up. Sunday morning, worship team gets up to play. And we have patterned this into our lives as a church. Before we do this worship stuff, we gather in a room and we pray. We join hands and we say, God, here we are. We're nothing. What we're doing is nothing. What we need, what we're desperate for is for you to show up to fill this with your power and your presence. Because otherwise, it's just a cheesy concert, you know? But this is more than that, and it's not because excellent music, and it's more than that because the Spirit of the living God is here and is at work in us. And so God is showing Moses. It's not the stick. It's God. The second sign, again, Moses, I need more. No, you don't. What's in your hand? Okay, let's forget about the stick. Just take your hand. You already have your hand. Just take it and put it in your coat. I'm going to use what you already have, what you already think is too weak to accomplish the task, and I'm going to show you that I am in charge even of the small thing. The first sign says, don't trust in human power. The second sign tells Moses, maybe you have overvalued fear. Maybe you need to think even a little bit differently about how the fragile lives that we live... All of us know that disease could ravage us at any time. We are fragile human beings. But God, in this moment, in a very small way, with just Moses' hands, demonstrates the power that he has over disease. He's going to use that power later in the plagues. But the point right now is that what is beyond us is within God's control. God is the Lord even over disease. 
something that is well beyond us. And we spend millions of dollars trying to figure out how to solve diseases. God is the Lord over that. And if you've lost someone to a disease or you're facing a life-threatening disease, God is still Lord over it and he's still good. He's still greater than the disease, even if it means a loss like that, because he has more for us than just this life. And I know that's hard and heavy, and I know there are times where that doesn't feel true, but that is the truth. That God is the Lord over disease, and even when disease seems to win, it never does for those who are his, because God has more for us. And so here we are in the Old Testament. A lot of times in the Old Testament, God is seen as angry and judgmental and smiting people left and right. But here you've got God talking to a man on a mountain, a man who believed he was a loser. And God is taking time to have a conversation with him to gently and powerfully lead him into his calling. Do you see the goodness of God here? If it's you, later on in this chapter, if it's me, and Moses is like, please somebody send somebody else. I would be like, fine, I'll send somebody else. I'm tired of you anyway. <laughs> right? Like, I've had it. Here is God's gentle grace. Over and over, we see the good hand of God inviting people into saving. Some of our challenges in life are letting the patience of God affect our soul. We are so impatient as though everything depends on us getting it done right now. Everything depends on our feel, our moment, our busy, 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 rush, rush, rush. Maybe it's not. Maybe God's patience is an example for us. And so here in these first two signs, the stick in his hands, there's no long-term change. There's really no real impact. It's just a sign that what you have in the hands of God is always enough. And God is taking time to explain to Moses what he will do, almost a dress rehearsal. Moses knows the plan before he leave, even leaves. And that's not often, but this is God's goodness to Moses. But then he comes to a third sign, verses 8 and 9. He says this, Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. This is, I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but this is a powerful sign. Because now what he says is, again, you don't need more. You just need a cup. Seems powerless. You need to go to the river. You need to take some water from the Nile River, pour it out on the ground. And when you pour it out, it will become blood on the ground. This is something that God is doing to strike at a very significant part of life in Egypt. The Nile River was the life force of Egypt. All of their wealth, their prosperity, their influence depended on the Nile River doing what the Nile River did. They actually worshipped the Nile River as a god. They thought of it as both male and female because it was independently the giver of life. The Nile River, its flooding, its, its, its deltas and all that made Egypt a superpower in the ancient world. It brought them wealth and, and health and regularly uh, allowed them to stay head and shoulders above people who suffered through droughts and, and things like that. So this Nile River is part of the reason that they are a special people. It was worshipped by the Egyptians. It was worshipped by the Pharaoh. They, they did sacrifices to the Nile River, hoping it would continue to provide nourishment for them to be their food supply. 
And God says, now I want you to take water out of the Nile. I want you to pour it on the ground. And I want you to turn it from life-giving into death. I want you to take this stuff that the Egyptians and even Israel look at as this unshakable, undeniable, always constant, always there, provision for life, the Nile River, and I want you to turn it to death. Because what they think is what gives them life isn't what gives them life. What they're depending on, what they're hoping in, is empty. God is going to show them this is not what grants them life. It does not deserve their worship or even their hope. And I wonder, believers, how many things we have in our life that are Nile rivers like that? That we go to, they are our go-to things, they are coping mechanisms, they are people. Maybe it's your bank account, maybe it's your, your intelligence, maybe it's your position, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your children. You go to it because you believe it will give you life. You've forgotten the God who gave it to you. You have tried, what we do is we make it into an idol. Maybe it's your, your country. Maybe you're all American all the time and everything is, you know, the country of America. You've forgotten the God who gave you what you have. The things that you enjoy in life, the, the money that you have or the health that you have or the job that you have are things that the giver of life gave to you. And when, we, when I say how many Nile rivers do we have in our life, I'm talking about something that is tangibly, seemingly reliable as a source of provision, a source of power, a source of safety, a source of security. And we look at it and we're ready for it to always be there for us and we, and we want a little more of it and a little more of it. We want it to be a little bit bigger. And we start to worship the gift instead of the giver. We start to turn to the wrong things for life, for hope. And so God destroys your Nile River. And you freak out. What are you doing, God? I thought you loved me. How could you take this from me? How did you ruin my life? How did you turn everything upside down? I can't believe you're doing this to me, God. That's what he did to Egypt. You know that thing you think makes you special? You know that thing you can always count on? You know that thing that brings provision and food? Death. Why? Because he hates the Egyptians? No, he's showing that the Nile River is a reflection of his goodness. It's not independent. It is, not, it is subjective to God, and they should have seen past the river to the God who controls the river. In these three signs, God says to him, Moses, get your eyes off of what you can do. Get your eyes on what I am going to do through you. Moses' response in God's conversation with him, verse 10 to 17, goes like this. Because at this point, you've seen a a stick turn into a snake. You've seen a hand turn into leprosy. And God told you when you pour water out, it's going to turn into blood. I think you feel pretty set. Not Moses. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. 
You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. God and Moses have this back and forth. Moses, in response to God's trying to show him, I am your answer. I am your hope. I will be with you. You can trust me. You can rely on me. Moses cannot get past this idea of how he saw life. I can only rely on me. I am my only hope. I am the only one who's reliable. And I don't deserve God's help. And God wouldn't want to help me. Maybe some of this registers with you. So here is Moses saying, I don't even know how to talk. We don't know if he had a stutter. We don't know if he forgot Egyptian. We don't know if he's just being humble or he's just looking for an excuse. But God refers back to the signs. He says, I'm in charge of nature. I'm in charge of your body. Who gave people their mouths? Who gave people their ability to see or hear? Didn't I do that? And then God switches the eye. Moses, in the verse before that, Lord, I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech. And we don't see it so much in in English, but it's very clear in Hebrew that God switches the eye and he says this, now go, I will help you and I will teach you what to say. God says, Moses, you're looking at the wrong eye. You can't. I can. I will help you speak is literally... The words are literally, I will be in your mouth. The presence of God and his trustworthy promise to accomplish this through Moses is what God is asking Moses to lean into. When God says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. There are times in your life when everything's falling apart and what God is asking you to lean into is his promise. Not his solution, because he hasn't shown you that yet. Just, I will never forsake you. Do you believe that? Are we going to trust? Because that's what Moses is up against right here. I will be with you. We give so little value and gather so little hope from this incredible, amazing reality that God is in us that God works in our lives, that God works through our lives. We think it's, you know, I can't quite put that in words because it sounds proud. Or, no, it's faith. It's trusting that God is doing exactly what he said so that he gets the glory and I am just a stick. I'm just an instrument. I'm just a weak person that God uses. In the end, Moses can't or won't look past his fears, his inadequacies. He says, please, just let me go back to normal. Have you ever felt that? Please, God, just let me go back to normal. Can I just go back to normal? Do you realize that God is so good that he doesn't leave you in normal? That if God brought something into your life that upset normal, that maybe normal is actually a lot deader than you've given it credit for. Can you imagine if Moses, if God said, fine, Moses, just stay out in the wilderness, I'll go find somebody else. We would never know Moses at all. We wouldn't have any, because Moses, if he rejected God's thing, the purpose for his life would have gone from this amazing, incredible, resonating through history thing to nothing. For you and I, sometimes we have so much faith in normal. Please just let it be normal. When it's not normal, is God still good? 
Is God bigger than you thought he was? Is he better than you thought he was? Those are moments where we decide whether we're going to walk by faith or we're going to walk by sight. God responds to Moses' fear. He directs Moses to connect with Aaron, his brother. And God's plan is still going to play out. He adapts a little bit to Moses, but what you'll notice in the rest of the book is that Moses still does most of the speaking. And sometime later, Moses has another long argument with God, and I, I think that this I'm not eloquent thing is a little bit wrong because he has this long, eloquent argument with God about abandoning his people. And then the closing thing of it is, but take your staff. You're going to need it. It's like, you're still shaken by all this stuff. I'm going to give you something to remind you of what I can do. I'm going to take that staff. Every time you look at that stick, remember, I've given it to you as a sign. I've shown you what I can do through ordinary stuff. So maybe you can see in that ordinary thing that I don't have to be, I don't have to feel strong, prepared, smart on top of it. Instead, if God can use a stick, maybe he can use me. The power isn't in the stick. The power isn't in your humanity. The power is in the one that we worship that can use ordinary things, a stick, a hand, water, to do the supernatural. Some of you are really tired, overwhelmed, stressed out, exhausted. God in this passage today say, take a look at what's in your hand. Seems too small, doesn't it? But if I want to use that, do you believe I can? For the impossible? You worry about what's coming or what could be coming. Things like disease or, or, or financial loss or bad choices from people that I love. You worry about these things and God says, you know that I'm the God who is God over that too, right? You know that I can redeem and heal and restore and save. and You know I can do that, right? Do you, you believe I can do that, right? You have your hope in your own personal Nile River. Well, it'll always be there. It's, it's what I can depend on. It's how, and God turns your life upside down. God is inviting you to change the eye in your narrative. It's not what you can do. It's what God can do in your life. But it's only as we walk by faith. So this week, your peace, your hope, your joy depends on you learning what God was trying to teach Moses that day. That if God is in your life, if God is present, then what you think is too small will never be too small if God chooses to use it. That you can rely, you can bet your life on his goodness, on his love, on his power, on his engagement in your life. And he will never let you down. Aren't you thankful we serve a God like that? Let's live like we serve a God like that. And instead of chasing what's more in this world, Let's recognize that the only more that will ever satisfy me is the one who is more than everything. And let's put our lives in his hands. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close in a word of prayer this morning and we'll be dismissed. Let's put this before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are good. You are so much better to us than we deserve. We thank you for your faithfulness. We give praise to you for your love for us. Help us to trust you Teach us what you were teaching Moses. 
when we feel unsettled, when we feel too weak, when we feel overwhelmed, remind us that it isn't us that are responsible to rise up and meet it and solve it. Remind us that we walk by faith, trusting the one who holds us. We follow our shepherd who watches over us. Father, we put our whole trust in your promise to keep us. So whatever comes this week, Lord, help us to lift our eyes up, to know that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Father, establish this in your people so that we can live as people of faith, people who bring glory to your name, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.